For Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, you know, if if the birds are singing a little bit more sweetly this morning and the coffee tastes a little bit richer, that's because the 2019 legislative session came to an end on Thursday. Let's not bury the lead. The 2019 Idaho legislature came to an end at 4.20 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. What a crazy run-up it was to the close of the session. I've been watching this for a long time, and I don't think I've ever seen such a wild finish as we had these final few days. No, it was convoluted and confusing and divisive. And for several days last week and this week, people were openly asking, why are we still here? What are we doing here? And there were fights that were keeping them there, and we'll get into that and and what that was and where that leaves us. Um, It was a long session. It got away from education issues seemingly a month ago, uh, at least two weeks ago. Um, But yes, now it's it's done and dusted. After 95 days, one of the longest legislative sessions in state history um, is now in the books, and we can start to sort of make sense of it and, and talk about what led to adjournment and what kept us here and, and how things might shake out this summer and what this sets us up for, for next year. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll kind of do the amateur historian role here as, as the older podcaster here. <laughs> I, I've been watching this for a long time, like I said, and, and I was thinking about it uh, on the way in this morning. The two longest legislative sessions. So this session ties for the third longest in state history at 95 days. The two longest were in 2003 and 2009, and I was watching both of those uh, in my prior life as uh, editorial writer at the Idaho Statesman. And the common thread with those two sessions were the state was in the middle of an economic downturn. Uh, The post-9-11 recession was definitely a defining point in that session in 2003. 2009, you're right in the throes of the Great Recession. You also had a stalemate between a governor and the legislature over tax issues. In 2003, it was uh, Dirk Kempthorne was pushing for a temporary sales tax increase, partly to protect education funding, largely to protect education funding. In 2009, you had Butch Otter pushing for an increase in the gas tax to work on road projects. Kempthorne prevailed. He got his uh, sales tax through on the first Saturday in May, which I remember because as the House was voting on the last bill, we, we were watching the Kentucky Derby in the House Lounge. Uh, nobody was wearing big hats and nobody was drinking <laughs> mint juleps, yeah. so it wasn't quite the experience. But that gives you a sense. That, that it was such a long session that it went into May. But in that case, in both of those cases, you had pretty clear battle lines between the executive branch and the legislative branch. You had economic issues overshadowing the entire session. Not so much this year. I mean, there are concerns about the tax revenues. We've talked about it several times on this uh, on this show. And that is still a concern going into 2020. Could be a big we, concern. We don't really know where it stands as of this moment. Could be a big issue in 2020. Wasn't a big issue in 2019. It's, it's a definite concern. Nobody talked about tax issues this year. Uh, increases or decreases. This is maybe the quietest session on tax issues you're ever going to see. Yeah. But what you did see this year was even more tension between the House and Senate. We've seen it before, but it really, I think, went to a higher level this year. And that may have some huge implications going into 2020 because the fight came down 
to administrative rules, and that's something you were watching closely this week. It came down to checks and balances and the role of government and the legislature's role in this rules review process. And so this has big uh, education implications. And so let's get into it. But just by way of quick, basic background to sort of tee up the conversation, uh, state agencies, including the State Department of Education, State Board of Education, Mm -hmm. every year bring administrative rules. Uh, These are things that they gather public input on and then put these rules together, and they go to the legislature uh, to be reviewed and confirmed or rejected or rejected in part every year. And rules are important. As Speaker of the House Scott Bedke said uh, yesterday during the Sine Die press conference, rules in the state of Idaho have the force and effect of state law. And if you do not believe me, break one of those rules and see what happens. Right, right. And and at that same presser, Jason Monks, who's the assistant majority leader, made an interesting point. He said, rules are where the people intersect with government, uh, sometimes quite more profoundly than they do with uh, with statute, with laws, because with rules, we're, we're talking about user fees, we're talking about you know, immunization guidelines, we're talking about, uh, and we're talking about school academic standards, I yep. mean, we're talking about a lot of stuff that, you know, where kind of the rubber meets the road for a lot of uh, public policy. So what happened, it, and it's kind of convoluted, it's very new in concept, we haven't really seen this before. But the legislature left town Thursday without passing the traditional drop-dead bill that basically is designed to formalize the legislature's efforts all year to approve and implement these agency rules. All the rules. All the rules hearings in all of the committees. I mean, that's a time-consuming process. Yeah, it took House Education nearly two months to go over rules uh, this year. And we'll come back to House Education and the rules. But it looks like The House and the Senate left town without formalizing that drop-dead rules bill, so it appears that every single state agency rule would be set to expire on July 1st this year. The House is aware of that, seems completely okay with that, realizing that Governor Little, perhaps, or maybe likely, will extend all of those rules on a temporary basis to keep them in place uh, between July 1st when the new fiscal year begins in the next legislative session. If that's the way that plays out, that would trigger a wholesale review of every single state agency rule. The new ones that are proposed, as well as all the ones that have been on the books for years, I believe that's some 8,000 pages worth of rules when they're printed up in the administrative bulletin. So we're looking at a Already a big session next year in 2020, if that plays out the way that we think it will. So a lot could be up for grabs. I mean, it's not just the arduous process we saw this session of passing this year's rules. I mean, you, you could conceivably see the legislature go back in time and say... We want to revisit the science standards. Absolutely, I, I think after that's a three-year fight over science standards, that that could resume in 2020. You could see a push uh, towards the Common Core standards that were adopted in 2011. I mean, and, you know, and you've talked to uh, you know talked to legislators about that. 2011. When we talk about the rules fight we had this year, 2011 was an important milestone uh, for this year's debate, and I'll explain why. In 2011. The Common Core State Standards, what was then known Common Core State Standards, were implemented in the state of Idaho through administrative rule. Uh, Representative Judy Boyle, a Republican from Midvale, who is a very influential legislator and an influential member of the House Education Committee, 
Uh, I think she was in her first term on the Education Committee, maybe second term in the legislature. She remembers this in 2011. She felt like former state superintendent Tom Luna and his staff undersold the Common Core state standards, soft-pedaled it, didn't say what it was going to be. During a session when who's pushing for those three education laws? The students come first laws, the Luna laws. Big education session in 2011. That was actually the very first legislative session I ever covered from Boise. Uh, Representative Boyle was frustrated uh, because Common Core state standards became divisive. Uh, it, it was something that her constituents were very concerned about and raised concerns about. It became sort of this national issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about that. We've talked about that for years and reported on it. Voters ultimately repealed uh, the Luna laws in, in 2012. But so the Common Core standards were the first kind of milestone. Go back to the previous three legislative sessions, that big fight over science standards and how the legislature would treat supporting content that referenced, um, made multiple references to climate change, fossil fuels, and human impact on the environment. Those science standards came in the form of administrative rule. And the House wanted to pick those apart. They wanted to remove supporting content. They wanted to... Scott Syme was a big part, Representative Scott Syme was a big part of that debate over the years. But they said rather than draw conclusions about climate change, they wanted to leave it open-ended and do either sort of a both-sides type approach or let students draw the conclusions for themselves. Ultimately, what we saw happen after three years of debate and disagreement was in 2018, the House voted to remove references to supporting content climate change, fossil Mm -hmm. fuels. The Senate was able to override the House, pass the full, unredacted, uncensored science standards because of the convoluted rules affecting the rulemaking process that when we talk about, I want to say pending rules, but when we talk about certain types of rules, one legislative chamber is enough to approve them and enact them. Mm -hmm. And so that's infuriated the House. Uh, They feel like that that gives the Senate veto power to override them, and they still remember that. And it came up again this year with the rulemaking process in the House. There was a fight over the senior math requirement, which dates back to a Senate bill that passed in 2018 and how that was implemented. The House wanted to remove the senior math requirement. The Senate was fine with it. So again, the House felt like the Senate overruled it, and so... Education, and this is convoluted and we got in the weeds, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm trying to help explain why no, the it's session... It's important to understand what's, what's at stake. Why the works were gummed up in the session, what this fight was about, how it's about checks and balances, it's about the House and the Senate, it's about friction and distrust between the legislative branch of the government and some state agencies, and in this case, the State Board of Education was in the middle uh, of the debate this year over the senior requirements. Um, but that's where we were, and, and so I just wanted to point out why education is an important part of this debate uh, and why rules are so important, even though it's not something you necessarily talk about around the dinner table every night or maybe even are aware of. Um, but rules are very important. Uh, there's thousands of pages of them in the state of Idaho. It sure looks like every single one of them is about to expire uh, this summer on July 1st when the new fiscal year begins. And so we're reacting to this. This is very recent news and a very recent discussion. And so we're reacting in the moment, and it may change. And we get, right. may get more clarity as the summer progresses. 
or as we get closer to the next legislative session, but Senator Todd Lakey, during his floor debate Thursday when he was attempting to pass a clean rules bill to implement all the rules, suggested two possible options, that the governor could extend all of the rules on a temporary basis this summer, but he also said the S-word, special session. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, like I said, we're reacting to this. This is very recent news. No one has called for a special session. That would be up to the governor. Right. But he did sort of float that balloon out there as a possibility. And a good question for the governor when he does his, uh, it's not going to be a post-session uh, press conference, but a 100 days press conference that he's scheduled for next week. As you as you walked us through well here, uh we don't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that, that's There's important. There's so much uncertainty about how this will play out in 2020. So I don't want to predict what will happen. I think it's impossible for any of us to predict what will happen. But I think it's important to talk about what could happen. I yeah. mean, it's not just the rules from this year. It's rules going back in time. I mean, we've had commenters for years uh, complain about the Common Core standards and say we should just repeal the Common Core standards. and and. There's never been really a concerted push in the legislature to repeal the standards. I mean, there, there have been bills presented, but they've never gotten a serious hearing. I think some of them were personal bills that, that never yeah, yeah. went anywhere, that were symbolic more than substantive. If every rule is up for grabs in 2020, and that's still a big if, but if every rule is up for grabs in 2020, there's much more of a path forward for the education committees to repeal or you know, you know, constrain Common Core standards to to a to a degree. There's more of a path forward potentially on I that see. issue than there's been since uh, since the passage of those standards in 2011. Everything in these rules could be up for grabs. We just don't know yet. It would seemingly open the door, and I could see perhaps a healthy appetite among members of both the House Education Committee especially, but also the Senate Education Committee, to take a look at that. It could open the door to a big, drawn-out discussion of Common Core state standards. It, it, you know, the superintendent's office has updated those and revised those, and now it's Idaho Core standards, and, and so it's a little bit different. But when I talked to Representative Boyle for an end-of-session interview, she's still focused on wanting to get... Idaho out of the Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium mm-hmm. test, the, the standardized test uh, that is tied to state standards. I could see a healthy push, perhaps, to look at Common Core, to look at science standards, to look at immunization rules. Uh, it could be a wide variety of topics because, like we said, it wouldn't just be the new rules that are put forth over the summer it would be all rules, potentially, if it, if it played out this way, it could be all rules that have ever been on the books. Right, um, and, the, and these are some hot topic issues or hot button issues when you get to talking about Common Core, which is still a toxic, uh, a, a top, a toxic commodity for, for some, some Idahoans. And there has been some misinformation out there, yeah. and we've covered that before, but um, it's in certainly a, a hot topic. Right. In a year, in 2020, when every legislator is up for re-election... You could see a lot of those hot button issues resurface in the uh, rules ratification or rules repeal process. We just don't know how it's going to play out, but potentially this 95 day session from this year might seem like a sprint compared to what's uh, in store in 2020. We we don't know. It's a hard to speculate, but I was really trying to ask because of the way the House fought the rules issues this year 
And I gotta say, in terms of keeping score politically, I feel like this is absolutely a victory for the House based on what we know now. But I was trying to ask the Speaker of the House, Scott Bedke, and the Majority Leader, Mike Moyle, if this triggers a wholesale rules review, did the House essentially get what it wanted? Was this what the House wanted all along to look at all these rules? And the Majority Leader, Representative Mike Moyle, kind of said, yeah. Um, in a roundabout if, way, so to speak. If anything, not only did they get what they wanted, potentially they got even more than they asked for at the start of the session. So, you know, at the beginning of the session, the House passed a bill that essentially would have required both houses yeah. to approve a rule. But that would have just been going forward. What you've got now, potentially, is the ability to go back in time, claw back and review rules from from previous years. That was never on the table until these final few days of the legislative session. And we don't know how much that's going to be on the table next year, but potentially, not only did the House get what it set out for at the beginning of the year, it may have gotten a potential bonanza in terms of opportunity to go back in time and, and, and review or revisit rules. And there's a healthy appetite in the House, and, and expressed by new Governor Brad Little, to reduce some government regulations. What's a perfect way to reduce government regulations? Roll back some of these agency rules that they've fought about, that they've gotten phone calls and emails about. Like we said, this is one particular way that it could play out. We're going to get more information and more clarity as we get into the summer, as we get closer to next year's legislative session, perhaps as we meet with the governor next week. But there's a healthy appetite in a very conservative legislative environment to roll back government regulations, and this could be... They, the House could, the legislature theoretically could have a field day rolling back regulations next year and really run on that uh, when they're up for re-election and really make that a strong point uh, of the, what, 2020 uh, yeah. state legislative race yeah, campaigns. It, yes, it, it could be. Uh, so stay tuned. Yes, and we'll continue to follow it, uh, try to get more clarity, more, more of a sense of what to expect on this rules process. As you said at the outset, really, the education issues kind of uh, faded into the background the final few weeks of the legislative session. Uh, a few quick points. Uh, the State Board of Education budget that was held up for several weeks, it did pass. Final uh, final bill of the year, I want to say. The last bill of the year. The, who, who would have thought that yeah. the State Board budget would be the going home bill? But that, that goes to the governor's desk. Significantly, um, it includes a line item that will fund... Uh, the governor's new education task force, which we would anticipate would take shape here in the weeks to come. If you want to go to idahoednews.org, and we, we hope you do, you'll have a chance to read our full coverage from Thursday's adjournment. Uh, Clark's got the story looking, looking at the rules impasse and where that may play out in 2020. I have more of a, a look at what passed and what didn't pass in terms of education legislation. So that's all there. Hope you check it all out. Yeah. I, I want to talk, at the beginning of the show, we were kind of sort of celebrating the end of the legislative session. I definitely want to acknowledge, though, that there's a sense among, depending on where you live in the state and what political party you're a member of or identify with, there is a sense that perhaps the legislature walked away with unfinished business. Uh, and when we listen to the end of session press conference, from, which we haven't mentioned yet, uh, from the Democrats, uh, Senator Marianne Jordan of Boise, Representative Lana Rubel of Boise said they can't remember a session in a long time that went as far to harm the public's trust in their government. So 
while while people are glad seemingly that the session has adjourned and that this won't go on and that we don't have to go back every day, depending on where you live in the state and which political party you identify with, there's absolutely a sense that perhaps the legislature walked away with some unfinished business on the table. Uh, and there was one of the big fights over the session was the ballot initiative process and the implementation of the voter passed proposition to the Medicaid expansion. So depending on where you fall on those issues, and those are not education issues that we followed closely, but you might be really, really happy with how the session went and how the session adjourned, or you might be really, really frustrated. And so I just and, want to acknowledge and, that. Right. And, and those were the basic talking points from the Democrats' uh, post-session press conference. We haven't heard the last on this initiative right. issue. Uh, legislators it were pushing a, for It led to the first it. veto from Governor Little. The, the veto, which you know, it was a week ago, and it feels yeah. like a month ago. but. Uh, the legislators who are pushing for restrictions on ballot initiatives are certainly going to take another push in 2020. They're already talking about that. The they took another push after the veto this yes, year, for, right. for heaven's sakes. Like, yeah, I, I, no I, means yes. We, we have not heard the last on that issue, that's for sure. Look for that in 2020. The Medicaid issue, it seems like it's almost certainly destined to wind up in court. So rules review another run at the school funding formula now that we'll have some data and some mandatory reports from school districts. I'm already dreading the 2020 <laughs> legislative session. We, we we're just sort Let's of just speculating have a good before we right. think about the we're sort of speculating session. and looking ahead, and a lot will change. Uh, and and we're maybe just reacting to getting out of the session right now, but potentially teeing up a massively important 2020 legislative session, but but we'll see where it goes. Yeah, a lot on the table, a lot on the docket, but uh, time to sort that out and, and look ahead. But if you want to get caught up on what happened this session, go to, Idaho, go to IdahoHeadNews.org. We've got full coverage from Thursday's uh, final day of right. the session. And attention, Idaho reporters, the legislative session ending was not the only story of the week. Yeah, Kevin, really. there were a couple of other uh, topics that... Uh, that you are covering this week. Let's go chronologically. The most recent University of Idaho, uh, Go Vandals, named a new university president on Thursday. Uh, familiar face to some Vandals. Uh, who did they name and what was the decision and, and kind of what does this mean? Well, uh, yes, we've got an Idaho native and an Idaho alum is going to be heading the uh, University of Idaho come July 1st. Uh, C. Scott Green is coming back to Moscow as the uh, university's 19th president. Interesting background. Uh, Green, you know, he attended U University of Idaho. He got his degree in accounting, uh, later went on to get his MBA at Harvard, mm -hmm. and became a top administrator with an international law firm. He's been headquartered out of New York, um, overseeing, I want to say, about 3,000 attorneys and 30 nations across the country, I mean, uh, nations around the world. I mean, this is, this is a huge law firm yes. that he's been an administrator of. He's not a lawyer. So he's been a non-lawyer in an administrative function for this, this huge law firm. Now he comes to the U University of Idaho as, as a non-academic, as somebody with more of a business background, to head the university. So a very interesting background, very interesting resume. And the, as the state board approved this hire on Thursday, you heard a couple of the board members talking about that background and talking about, you know, this... A vandal this, to the core. A, for, a vandal to the core. I think that was definitely something that was of interest to board members to get somebody in who's got some affinity, got some ties to the university. I think they, you know, Linda Clark, the president of the state board, talked about um, 
Green's background and his skill set as being, you know, something that the university, uh, something new for the university going forward. It'll be very interesting and not even unprecedented when you look at recent history here. I mean, you know, at ISU, yep. uh, Kevin Satterley is the new president. He's an attorney. Uh, Scott Green, C. Scott Green, is a business uh, executive turned university president. So in both, in two of these very recent and very high-profile hires, the state board has kind of broken out of the mold of going for more of a traditional academic in that president's role. I had a chance not just to listen to the state board's vote, which was pretty quick, pretty yep, pro forma. I had a chance to listen to... Um, listen in on the stream on uh, Green's kind of welcome to the university. Uh, he did a, a quick uh, quick speech before students and members of the university community up in Moscow. A um, little bit of uh, a little bit of rah-rah. He kind of joined the uh, students in the fight song and you know. I watched a little bit of that stream. Play, and he, he got a warm reception. Very warm reception. Standing ovation and he definitely touted his his background as an alum, as a, as a vandal, he talked about how his grandfather was the athletic Told some director. Personal stories about hard work and the value of a dollar. That his first job through his grandfather was folding towels at the uh, Memorial Gymnasium up there. You know, talked very fondly about his time at the University of Idaho and his time going back. Then he did a press conference. I was able to listen in. He talked about those roots again. Um, he addressed really one of the most sensitive topics, I think, for a lot of folks in the Vandal community, how long are you going to stay? Because the University of Idaho has had kind of a revolving door in that presidency. And he said, look, I only know one fight song. I'm going to stay as long as the state board wants me and as long as I can continue to function. I uh, bet he knows the Harvard fight song. But that's. <laughs> but nevertheless, I digress. We'll, 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 we'll have to, like, you know, I'd like to sit down and do an interview with him and, and we'll drill down on that. But Right. But I think his point was, look, I'm here for the long haul. This is my last stop. And I think that was probably, it's what any president is going to say. And in a situation like that, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. But definitely a sense of, you know, here's somebody who wants to uh, return to his alma mater and, and, and lead his alma mater. On some substantive issues, um, he talked a little bit about the 60% goal and the need to get more uh, students to go on and attend college. I asked him about the enrollment numbers because U of I's enrollment did drop this year. And he said, you know, a lot of what it comes down to is we've got to tell our story better. We've got really, we've got cool programs that, you know, graduates can come out of it and get good jobs and we're just not talking about it enough. We need to tell our story better. So he, he talked about that. He talked about improving access, scholarships, uh, Talked a little bit about the um, relationship between the university and the legislature. Did talk about athletics, which is another <laughs> sensitive topic mm -hmm, for the U of yeah. I. Um, you know, he was very smooth on this one. He said, you know, I could see us moving out of the big sky and going back to uh, top-level college football. But, you know, we have to compete in the big sky first. So he, he kind of deferred on that issue. And make no mistake, that was a, an issue that was really sensitive for a lot of members of the Vandal community, a lot of, a lot alums, of, boosters. A lot of boosters. Yeah, I don't think ever forgave Chuck Staben for making the move back to the Big Sky Conference. I, you know, we can talk about lofty academic issues and, you know, the role of the research uh, at the University of Idaho and the land-grant institution, and we can talk about, you know, access and affordability and graduation rates for a lot of, for a lot of folks. It really does, you know, ac 
athletics are a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're a big way of how you sort of, you know, define your university or your college. And that was, that was, a, that was a big turning point in Staben's time as president. So we have full coverage of uh, that announcement on Thursday. And like I say, um, you know, my hope now uh, after uh, Green and the new Boise State president, which we'll hear about in a couple Later of weeks. Later this month, yep. Ideally. <laughs> Ostensibly, yeah. there'll be a new president on the 23rd. Hope to sit down with both of these presidents in the, um, in the months ahead to, uh, to go into more detail about what they're hoping to do. But the Daily News is all there. Uh, full coverage again at idahoednews.org. Good stuff. Thanks for taking that, Kevin, as the legislature was uh, moving towards adjournment. Busy day Thursday. <clears throat> One other big story you focused on this week, a new report, uh, some new numbers from the I want to say Lumina Foundation yes. that uh, track closely with some of the things that we follow in education. What was the report and what, what did you learn? Yeah, and it, and it kind of dovetails to some of the stuff that we're talking about now with the, the new president at University of Idaho. Lumina Foundation has been tracking uh, college graduation numbers, uh, post-secondary completion numbers for states and counties for, for years. Uh, they're pushing for a national 60% goal that's a little bit... Uh, analogous to the 60% goal right. that Idaho has, where the state wants to get 60% of its 25 to 34-year-olds to hold a, a degree or a post-secondary certificate. Lumina looks at all adults. Idaho's numbers improved a little bit. We're now at 40.7% of adults have a degree or a certificate. That's up one-tenth of a percentage point from 2016, so a little bit of an increase over the one year from 16 to 17. Just a smidge. Yeah, really. Especially if you're thinking about a 60% goal. It's, it's a long way from 40.7% to 60%. And some of the trouble spots that we've written about that, that I, I focused on in my series last fall still persist. Uh, graduation rate for uh, Hispanic adults is only about 15%. It's ahead of only two states in the nation. Uh, for Native Americans, uh, that uh, graduation rate is again about 15% ahead of only Alaska. Big picture, Idaho's 40.7% graduation rate is ahead of only three states in the nation. So a long way to go. And if you're thinking about this 60% goal in terms of making the state more competitive in a global economy, in a changing economy, where you stand compared to other states really does matter. It's not just it's not just a matter of pride. I mean, there is yeah. uh, definitely an economic uh, driver there. We have all of those numbers. We also have a breakout by county, so you can kind of see what the graduation rates are by county. Wide divisions, and we've talked about that before, and we've written about that before, but you can look at it. When you see it on a map, when you see the state-by-state state numbers on a map and you see the county-by-county county numbers on a map, I think it really brings it into uh, much more focus than than I can in a story or I can in a podcast. So I hope you check up those numbers because, you know, the 60% goal has been the defining goal in education in Idaho for going on a decade. And the progress has been uh, fairly slow, uh, to, to say the least. Yeah, it, it really is Idaho's flagship um, education goal. It's something that we've talked about. It's something that's been a riddle. Um, we have not been able to make much progress on. The yardstick, the measurements are a little bit different. Idaho's 60% goal is a population goal for our young adults, I want to say, uh, covering uh, young adults age 25 to 34 or thereabouts, whereas I think Lumina, Lumina Foundation looked at overall population. 
so just, uh, but they're very closely related. Yes. And 60% is a benchmark. Um, Idaho's uh, views that as a, as a workforce development pipeline issue. And uh, like you said, there are economic uh, impacts and um, relating to the workforce. And, and it's an important goal, yeah. and it's something that we've been talking about and following for years. And I want to quickly note that Idaho's struggles are not unique. Right. 42 states have similar Similar post-secondary goals. It may be 60%, it may be higher, it may be different population groups, different age groups, but 42 states have signed on to the idea of getting to some sort of a goal. There's only there's no state that is at the 60% Only a mark. couple of cities. I've seen some different yeah, reports. Yeah. Seattle is one of the best educated uh, cities in the country, San Francisco as well. Only a couple of cities are exceeding 60%. Right, so no state has hit the 60% mark. Only the District of Columbia... Yeah, it's hit the sixty percent mark in terms of you know you know st- you know while no state has the District of Columbia and, and you think about it, I mean it's all like Seattle it's all like San Francisco think about the the workforce that you yeah. have in the District of Columbia you know it stands to reason that you'd have a pretty uh, well educated workforce in, in the D.C. as you as you do in, yeah. in Seattle and in San Francisco. Long way to go nationally and at the state level, and uh, we've got the numbers on our site. All right. Uh, That was a big week. Um, We're going to be back next week with another new edition of Extra Credit. We have a couple of things that we're going to follow up on uh, from the legislative session. What happens next? Where things stand? I'm going to have a report on the House Education Committee and the first year of new Chairman uh, Lance Clow. Uh, That will be coming out next week. A couple other things that we'll follow up on in the legislative session as we gear gear up for the summer and the end of the school year. Uh, some things will be keeping us busy. Yep, and I, I will have a feature that will drop on Monday on Sebastian Griffin. He is the uh, senior class president at Nampa High School. He got a bill through the legislature this year, and it's not, and it's a substantive bill. It changes uh, some graduation, uh, it changes some scheduling yep. uh, rules for high achieving students. It's uh, an issue that he's been passionate about as a student for a couple of years. Got it through the legislature. I had a chance to sit down and talk to him this week. He's a uh, he's a fascinating uh, young man who uh, we may all be working for in about ten or fifteen years. He's poised he's, for success. Yeah, he, he's he's going to do okay. And um, story about his uh, his journey getting a bill through the legislature and uh, what it does and why he pushed for it. So look for that on Monday. All right. Uh, Sounds good. If you want to find out more about the legislative end game and the fight over the administrative rulemaking process, Kevin and I are both heading out right now to tape a segment for this weekend's edition of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television. You can catch it on their website. Otherwise, it airs uh, Friday evening and Sunday mornings all across the state of Idaho. Uh, But thanks so much for joining us uh, for this discussion that we have every week about the intersection of politics and policy. Uh, We have a lot of fun. We've enjoyed covering the legislative session every day, even though we've also enjoyed watching it adjourn on Thursday. But come back next week for another new edition of Extra Credit, and you can give us a follow at, uh, at Idaho Ed News on Twitter. So thanks so much. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.